2: Live in the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, forget Disney, why Google could be the biggest threat to Netflix right now, and it's all thanks to your team. We'll explain. Plus, one of our traders says this stock could be setting up for a big breakout. We'll bring you that name, but we begin with a double whammy for the markets. Stocks finishing the day deep in the red as Jay Powell spoke, and the U.S. turned up the heat on China. The S&P 500 losing more than a percent and a half. On the day, we've got full team coverage standing by to hit both big headlines. Eamon Javers with us from the White House, but we kick things off with Steve Leisman and fresh comments from Fed Chair Jay Powell. Steve,
3: thanks, Melissa. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, seven times in a speech on Tuesday, said interest rate policy will depend on the economic data. He added, though, the economy is overall in good shape despite some troubles on the horizon. Many indicators show a historically strong labor market with solid job gains, unemployment at a half-century low and rising prime age labor force participation. But there are risks to this favorable outlook, principally from global developments. Growth around much of the world has weakened over the past year and a half, and uncertainties around trade, Brexit, and other issues pose risks to the outlook. Uh, What's it all mean for the outlook for rates? Well, Powell did appear mostly neutral about what the Fed would do at the late October meeting. That is, uh, wanted to front-run his committee. Markets took his comments as affirming their expectations for rate cuts. J.P. Morgan writing, if the Fed leadership wanted to push back against market expectations of another ease later this month, we think Powell would have chosen language that didn't, uh, didn't call out downside risk to the outlook. Speaking in Denver, the Fed chair also said the central bank will begin increasing the size of its balance sheet on a permanent basis. That reverses a policy from last year and the year before to reduce the balance sheet which was swelled during the financial crisis, trying to get it back down to a more normal level. growth of our balance sheet for reserve management purposes should in no way be confused with the large-scale asset purchase programs that we deployed after the financial crisis. Neither the recent technical issues nor the purchases of Treasury bills we are contemplating to resolve them should materially alter the stance of monetary policy. This was an opportunity for Powell to change the market expectations for the October meeting, and he seems to have chosen not to do so. So it looks like another quarter-point rate cut will be delivered by the Fed right around Halloween, guys.
2: Steve, just quickly, uh, increasing the size of the balance sheet, can that be considered some form of QE?
3: If you want, I mean, look. It, it would. What they have to do is permanently replace the temporary operations they've done to get, to, to provide greater liquidity. So that's about two hundred billion dollars of work they need to do. The biggest, the smallest quantitative easing program they did was six hundred billion dollars, uh, and then they're going to grow the balance sheet based on the economy. So uh, it's not an intent. To lower long term interest rates. And it's an attempt to provide an ample amount of reserves to keep the funds rate where they put it. So it's not in intent and not in an actual size mm-hmm. or not in execution, is it quantitative easing? I would argue.
2: All right. Steve, thank you. Steve nice. Leisman. Now on to the other headline, rocking markets today, the Trump administration turning up the heat on China ahead of Thursday's trade talks. Let's get to Eamon Javers at the White House with all the details. Eamon.
4: Yeah, Melissa, the trade talks are scheduled for Thursday and Friday. That's when the higher level officials will be meeting uh, to hash out all these differences. But ahead of that, what we've seen now is this flurry of actions and threats back and forth from the Chinese side to the U.S. side and, ba- and vice versa. I've laid out some of them here on this graphic so you can keep track of everything that's happening, uh, the the U.S. Uh, versus China, first of all. The U.S. is uh, talking about restricting government investments in Chinese companies. That's one idea under discussion. Also blacklisting a number of firms uh, on the Chinese side. Uh, And then finally, uh, those visa restrictions that we saw earlier today on certain Chinese officials in the wake of that crackdown uh, that we saw in in China on a minority group there. All those actions or threats taken by the U.S. side. On, On the Chinese side, though, this action against the NBA is one key area where they're putting pressure on an American entity in a very visible and very public way. We're also seeing now some criticism uh, from the Chinese media, anyway, of Apple Inc. over an app uh, that some protesters are using to navigate in Hong Kong during the protest. Chinese media is saying that Apple uh, is not sensitive to the feelings of the Chinese people. So, a lot of tension points here ahead of those talks Thursday and Friday. We'll see if any of that moves the needle. The president says uh, he doesn't want a small deal. He still wants that big deal he's talking about. The big unknown this week, though, is whether this impeachment effort of the, against the president is going to change the dynamic here in any way as the Chinese uh, sit down with their American counterparts. Melissa.
2: Amen. Uh, is the Chinese delegation in town?
4: There are lower-level officials who are here now, yes. And uh, I don't know exactly when all the higher-level officials are, are going to be in town, but we've seen some of them already arrive. So, so yes, um, but we'll see whether they actually uh, go forward with those meetings because at this point you would say that just about anything could happen here. The expectation is everybody will sit down around a table and hash it all out later in the week.
2: Okay. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers you at the White House. So this seems to be like the, we are turning up the heat gradually Degree by degree by degree as we approach October 11th. That's
5: that whole you put a frog in a thing of Boiling water pot and you slowly. It's not going to write that whole. Bo- the
2: wind is a frog, oh, but
1: I've feel heard boil. that before.
5: I'm not really sure. Not you being think, a frog, are we still is doing that hard. to
1: frogs? I mean, no, you you know, we're like not. Like it's anymore. a we, metaphor. Nobody for does that to frogs. Oh, okay. nobody, okay. No frogs oh, okay. were injured in the, or harmed the
5: making of this show. In the <laughs> making of this show. The, but the more you know. Love the music. No, I mean, and you wonder if uh, you know Mr. Powell's comments today. President Trump says, now the Fed finally has my back. Now I can ratchet up the trade tension talks. Without question, I mean, I'm a conspiracy theorist. It makes a lot of sense. But to your earlier question, Steve Leisman, is a quantitative easing? You can call it anything you want. That's exactly what it is. Because this time last year, we were on autopilot for balance sheet reduction. And now we're on autopilot the other way in a year with the S&P 500 effectively at all-time highs. I think it's crazy. I think the reason why the market sold off, though, in my opinion, was the rhetoric that we talked about with President Trump. So the Fed might have your back. But again, I'll say this again. This was started in March of 2018. It's now October. I don't think we're any closer today than we were 18 months ago.
6: Uh, so Eamon said something kind of interesting about the trade talks later this mm-hmm. week. He said anything could happen, yep. and I think that's very unlikely that anything could happen. I think the likelihood is that not a whole heck of a lot happened. So the idea that you were going to get the best-case scenario of some I mean, grand deal. falls under well, the saying of anything? I, well, I think that falls under anything. Okay, okay. go back to your, go back to your Which boiling Which very falls. important. <laughs> my, my point, my point I very say, simply man, is— what Given the rhetoric early this week and over the weekend, the likelihood of a broad deal that is going to be great for economic growth globally and great for our stock market is not very likely. So at this point, now we have the situation where we get some deal where each side can maybe save a little face, maybe that's focused on tariffs, or everything falls apart. The president has a little tantrum, pulls his negotiators, which don't think for a second that couldn't happen. That could happen. And I think that would be more of what we had today in the markets. We would see the S&P lower in those scenarios.
2: I would think that for the Chinese, saving face could mean pulling out of these talks, walking away from that table and not actually engaging.
1: What what's, should be very concerning for the markets is not only is doing nothing something, but, but walking away is very bad. And, and the way this administration, rightly or wrongly, but treating China much like we've treated uh, outlaw at-law nations, so and apologies, Russia, but I mean, when you're starting to talk about uh, you know, restricting visa access, you're starting to talk about some of these restrictions that are more on the sanctions line mm-hmm. uh, and have nothing to do with trade, um, you get into a treatment that's very different. It's very you know, insulting if you're the Chinese. I mean, again, I'm not going to speak to is it warranted or not. Um, I think China policy right now is very popular in this country. So, um, But when I look at what the markets are doing and, and I look at uh, the reliance on the Fed and today, so back to um, what was this QE, whatever this was. Look, Powell went out of his way. I I thought he made it very clear to say, don't confuse balance sheet management with some larger scale asset purchase like we used to do. And and I think that was the reason where the market had clawed back almost all that it had lost, began to sell off, and effectively closed on the lows. So uh, I think less Fed uh, is certainly still a big issue for this market, even if today he did say, uh, we'll leave our options open for the next three weeks.
7: I still think the restrictions on the Chinese and some of the other rhetoric that was going on, I think that's the bigger story here. I mean, we all focus on Powell. We all do that for all the right reasons. We all understand. And we basically, according to Leisman now, I mean, we're talking about an interest rate cut once again, maybe another one before the end of the year. So that, I think, is almost a given, sort of baked in. I think still it comes down to this whole trade war thing. And that's why we sold off. I mean, that commentary today was enough to get this market really pushing to the downside. Now, we had actually been holding Mel almost all day at about a 19 VIX. We finished over 20. Why is that? Because late in the day, even though we were just revisiting that same low, late in the day, that was a pretty harsh sell-off. I mean, that, was, that really was a nice big move to the downside. And that really does have some stirring up some of the concerns that I think people have. I don't know that I agree with you on one thing, though, Guy. When you said we're no better now than we were 18 months ago, I think... In terms of negotiation, maybe we are a little bit better because both economies are suffering. I think the Chinese are suffering even more than we are by a significant amount. But I think we're both suffering to some degree because we are starting to see weakness in some of these numbers. We aren't seeing the wins that we were seeing for a while and maintaining as well as we were. We've got a few more losses. So I think there's pressure on both on both sides right now. And I think that will actually get us a little bit further along. Maybe. What did
2: the market tell us today, though, with the action? We had Powell saying we're still data dependent, right? Fed funds future actually went up about five points or so, five percentage points as he was speaking. So we got up to close to 80 percent likelihood of a, of a rate uh, cut in, in October. So what did the market tell us? The markets told us that China trade will trump whatever the Fed can do, that the Powell put is dead, that was my point. So it's, I think. No, that's, it's, it's no longer. If you ever thought that it was, it's no longer. And that was the point.
5: Maybe I didn't make it clearly enough, but I think that's exactly what I think Pete's right. When I say we're no closer, I understand what Pete's saying. Both sides are absolutely hurting. But, you know, these are two people that I think for President Trump, he wants to save face. He's a very proud man. Everything's about winning. Mm-hmm. And President Xi and China, I mean, the Chinese are very proud people. I'm hard pressed to believe they're going to come to some resolution over the. That's just my opinion. We'll, We'll see how it plays out. What does it tell us? I have no idea why the dollar is as strong as it is, and that makes zero sense to me. But what I'll tell you, something's interesting. Gold topped out. The miners topped out in early September. They all seem to consolidate these levels. I think the trade back on, and again, we've said this for a while, is the gold trade. I think if there's a winner out of all this, it's GDX and gold itself.
7: And to, to Guy's point, just real quick, I know you could hit on the dollar, but in terms of gold, we were seeing paper today. I mean, unusual option activity was there today, and we've seen this time and time again. It had taken a bit of a break on this pullback from where it was, the GLD, down back to where it is right now. But they're buying, Mel, and they're actually buying time. It's something we haven't really seen so in St. the options Haven market. trades
2: are back in. So because if so you're telling gold, me gold silver, and dollar, yeah,
7: yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the whole Santa trade is, is sort of back in terms of, uh, yeah, the silver and gold, silver and gold. Santa:
1: Is that Santa trade? That's
7: nice. nice.
2: How's so, the song go,
5: Pete? <laughs> I'm not going to do it right now. It. Now, who's no. saying that song? <laughs> Quick. Silver and gold. gold our lives.
1: It's the burl Live trade. the Burl-Ives it's trade. actually
6: a B-side by you, too, back in the Joshua Tree oh, back right in Okay, $1. so, so, $1. so yeah, dime for song. that.
1: Look, the bottom <laughs> line here is we have we have a case where uh, if you listen to the Fed, who is actually steepening the curve by talking about more Treasury purchases, that also is going to have people reaching for yield and pushing down lower in terms of the deflation trade. So, uh, semis were off 2.6%. They, to me, are, are going to continue to be on the front line of will they, won't they. Uh, traded all the way back down to the 50. This was as big of a down move, as we've seen in semiconductors, and in, in, in really in weeks, even though we've had a lot of volatility in that space. So um, I, I, I kind of agree with the crew here. It's very difficult to see how we break out of some of these trades, and that continues to, to I think, support uh, whether it's staples, whether it's utilities, whether it's also been defensive kind of big box retailers, which are trading at premiums that I think you have to be very careful about, because if all this stuff is coming down as, as everybody's calling for it, the consumer is going to be in a very difficult place, as as soon as the end of the year. Um, and I, and I, I mean that because we're going to start seeing the Fed was asked about payroll numbers, right? Sure. They talked about the downward revisions to payrolls, which are now at 153 average over the last three months. So be careful. I, that. You know, it's funny. It, it feels very similar, but in different ways to last quarter
6: uh, Q4 last year when you think about it, because at the end of the day, you know, that government shutdown was the thing that I think took the air out of the consumer mm-hmm. in the near term. And then you had that negative wealth effect with the stock market starting to go down. So I just want to make one point about you mentioned utilities and staples. They acted really well until about... November or late November, the S and P was already in a downturn last year. But when the bottom fell out in December, utilities and staples yep. went down at least ten, twelve percent, in line with what the market was doing at the time. So right now, you see utilities again trading at high valuations. Um, you see staples trading at high valuations. I think you have to fully expect that the S and P takes a leg lower, that those two groups will follow suit.
2: And that's exactly what Carter Braxton Worth said yesterday. That's what we said yesterday. yesterday. You watch our show. I, I was in the market numbers. zone.
6: And, okay, <laughs> I was well yesterday. Was in the, <laughs> so. was so, in the market yeah, zone. Yeah.
5: <laughs> the market's
6: on. It's zone. fancy yeah. new segment what does that, that mean? they have.
2: Got to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming up, the Blue Jeans Indicator. Levi's shares on the move after reporting results. We'll tell you what the company is saying about the state of the consumer. Plus, there's a big challenger to Netflix in the streaming space. It's not who you might expect, but the kids are loving it. We'll mm. explain. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an earnings alert on Levi. Let's get straight to Sima Modi at headquarters with the details. Hey, Sima. Hey,
9: Melissa. A volatile session for shares of Levi after hours. Here are some of the takeaways from its earnings report. First, it continues to expand internationally, revenue up 14% in Europe, up 9% in Asia, but experiencing troubles in the Americas where it saw a 3% decline in net revenues due in part to weakness in its wholesale business. Now, Levi also says the stronger U.S. dollar will negatively impact full-year results. Now, after going public in March and pricing at $17 a share, Levi's stock has struggled off by more than 22% from its April highs, but it did get two upgrades yesterday, one from JP Morgan, the other from Guggenheim. Uh, analysts, they're talking about unlocking more growth from its direct-to-consumer channel and expanding outside the U.S. The conference call just kicked off. We'll keep you updated on anything the management says. For now, the stock up now a half a percent in extended trade. Melissa.
2: All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi. So, trouble in wholesale, that equals trouble uh, distributing through places like department stores, et cetera,
1: third parties. Right. And so they're saying wholesale is around 30% of the business and it's mm-hmm. going to continue to trend down um, as other parts of their business grow. So uh, it, it, it gets to a place where, and it may seem easy to say this now after the move the stock's had, although it's rallied 20% off of that that, that terrible run it had. Why the premium? Why when an apparel company, you know, when you look at all the other apparel companies, even those that have carved out a brand, trade anywhere from 10 to 15 times, excuse me, um, do you have a company like this that's trading north of 20? And I think the market is is making a correction on something that made no sense to me Mm -hmm. at that time.
5: Fair. It, but, you know, I have it closer to 18, but I understand what you're saying, valuation in terms of forward multiple. But then you look at it and say, wait a second, operating margins 12.2%, street was, I think, 11.5%, inventories, which are important, are flat year over year, sales growth 3.8%. You're saying to yourself, maybe it's not as a ridiculous a stock as you would think on the surface. So I don't think you have to run out with both hands. but. I don't think this is nearly as uh, negative a story as you might look at it on the surface. It's not as expensive, I think, as people might think. Are those
1: stonewashed Dan? What do you have on this today? Is, is that something? like an acid, acid water. 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 Water.
6: family, guy wears the, uh, the, the Levi's. Guy. Le- I, We've gone through this he a number wears. of times. Zipper. I, I would just say one thing when you talk about the wholesale. And you look at Macy's, it can't get out of its own way at 15 bucks <laughs> down here. It's been like this for months now at, like, 10-year lows or whatever the heck it is. It just tells you, again, we are just overstored in the department store mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean
7: but where are they growing they're growing they're, they're investing in online yeah. we talked about direct yeah. to consumer all the rest of that stuff but you look at asia and you look at uh, the asian markets china and you look at europe they had some great growth over there so where are they growing and where are they losing a little bit they're losing in their biggest area that's almost to be expected i would think because of the fact that they're pulling away from all the uh, the TJ Maxx and everybody else they're trying to pull away from that and they're trying to get themselves the better margins and everything so if you focus on where are they growing, I actually find it pretty impressive. So you These like guys, Levi. well, they're up 14% in China, right? I think 9% in Europe or something like that. So there are some growth areas that I think are pretty impressive. And we all know they're moving more and more into the women's category. It's like Lulu going into the men's category. It's something they need to expand, and they're doing it.
5: Right. I, by the way, can yes. we just if the folks on, at home uh-huh. want to send us gifts, which happens from time to time.
7: Are 501 you jeans
1: 3432. 32. There's some 32. Pants? Well, that's, that's interesting. Wears, that's that's, that's a, a 30. That's kind of That's kind of a stubby <laughs> no, set he, of legs. This is a this is a cut man, George. 34 32. Yeah, You're a tall does, guy. He has
2: small he has that's short legs. legs. He's He's a a guy. Guy. Torso. I don't all think all it's torso. a 32.
1: I think it's a 30. It's
5: Weird. You know what if they if I could
1: get them they don't even make 30 34
5: 30 maybe the folks in Levi's who
2: they watch the show by the way. We're not going to be able to get
1: through the door of the studio tomorrow. There's going to be boxes and boxes of 34 by 32s in like they'll be too lawful for
2: Still ahead. (laughs) The teens have spoken. The kids just crowned a new king in the streaming wars. We will tell you who it is. And later, one of our traders says this stock could be primed to pop. We'll bring you the name when Fast Money returns.
8: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors and it's how yahoo finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety for comprehensive financial news and analysis visit the brand behind every great investor yahoo finance.com the number one financial destination yahoo finance.com that's yahoo finance.com
9: Welcome
2: back to Fast Money. More bad news from Netflix as Piper Jaffrey's annual teen survey reveals the real streaming king may have just lost its crown. Let's get to Julia Borson with all the details. Hi, Julia.
0: Well, Melissa, Netflix shares have been under pressure, down about 30 percent from highs that the company hit on May 1st. But while the stock has been dogged by concerns about a slew of competition hitting in the next year, as well as rising content costs, one big concern could be a nearly 15-year-old company, YouTube. The free ad-supported service making gains on Netflix, which has given up its long-held lead on daily video consumption among teens. This is according to the new Piper Jaffray Teen Survey. Now, YouTube has the biggest piece of teens' daily video consumption at 37%. That's five percentage points higher than just six months earlier, beating Netflix's subscription service, which now has 35%. That share has dropped two percentage points from the prior survey. Now, it is worth noting, though, that both of those companies dwarf traditional cable TV, which is continuing its decline now down to 12 percent. Hulu and Amazon Prime were both flat at seven and three percent, respectively. Now, analysts are also starting to weigh in on Netflix's growing host of rivals. Today, Aegis Capital lowered its price target for the stock and reduced its subscriber estimates for Netflix, following an analysis of usage in 56 countries. Now the stock was bolstered a bit though by a more bullish report from Oppenheimer with an outperformed rating on the stock noting that data on Netflix in India looks promising and that the third quarter content slate looks strong enough to keep the service competitive. So it was certainly a big mix of reports today uh, but Netflix did share and that Netflix shares did end the day down about 1%. Melissa, back over to you.
2: That sounds great for YouTube, Julia, but at the same time, I mean, can, you know, is Google monetizing this lead amongst the teens? Can it?
0: Well, remember, Well, Google has monetized it, Though, remember, we don't know exactly how much revenue YouTube brings in. There have been a a range of estimates here. But the question, though, is what teens are watching on YouTube, because some of that content is professionally generated content, which monetizes at a higher rate, both for the content creators who are putting it on, whether it's a traditional media company, and also for YouTube itself. And there's the user generated content, which tends to have uh, lower ad rates. So it is, a, it is a range, and we don't have that much information because Google just does not disclose anything that specific. But it has been a huge moneymaker, though you have to wonder if you look at the success of some of these newer apps like TikTok. Mm-hmm. Did YouTube miss the TikTok trend? Could YouTube have been TikTok if they were more aware of those rising trends?
2: All right. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. Uh, should Netflix be worried?
5: About a lot of things. I mean, when the Disney announcement came out, I mean, it's good for Tim, by the way. They should be worried about a lot of things. And, shouldn't for me to say, Reed Hastings come out last quarter and basically said, you know what, competition is there. They seem to be worried for the first time since they've been a publicly traded company. But in terms of Google, I mean, it's had a lot of, it's had some difficulties. Not unlike Amazon, not unlike Facebook. Mm-hmm. Twice it's failed at 1,300, now below 1,200. You have to ask yourself, I mean, although they might be winning this war, the stock hasn't traded particularly well. So I think Netflix, at 250 level we flagged a number of times, it held. So I think it's a tradable bottom. But in terms of being worried to answer your original question, absolutely it
2: should be. They need another quarter like they had last quarter.
1: Yeah, look, I, I I think this this whole first of all just streaming wars and, and where is YouTube playing? You know, I I wanted to grow up to be a baseball player. My six-year-old wants to grow up to be a YouTuber. Um, I clearly didn't become a baseball player, by the way, in case that wasn't obvious to you. No, guys. it's clear. And so, um, you know, the, easy, Dan. It's getting a little bit. <laughs> Heavy you, the you're time. hurt. You're Heavy very hurt, time. and I get okay. it. But but if you look at the improving ROI at YouTube, and you look at actually the ability to monetize this, um, bottom line is this is arguably the one or two global ad company global. leader uh, in the world with evaluation that makes a lot of sense. And I realize there's regulatory risks, but this is a name that I think you have to own. YouTube is a very important part of that.
2: I would think though that YouTube sits right in the target, right, of all the regulators. Like if there's regulatory risk for for Google, YouTube is... What kind of
1: regulatory risk? I mean...
2: I mean, in terms of the the fear that it's... uh, video video like um, extremist videos are uploaded there that it's it hosts chats by you know predators um, I think i will ch-
7: you know, well, I'll let talk. I don't think Google, wa- nobody wants that. Right. So no, 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 get, getting yeah. that well, off the site is but, good news for the company. Right. It, it, if they're able to keep up with it, I think is your point. I mean, the idea of some, sor- some sort of security measures that they've obviously got to do yeah. to be able to keep it some of this. Off. It does cost money. Yeah. And that's the money they need to pour into that. There is competition everywhere. We know that. And Netflix always has had this high valuation. And one of the things we've always hung our hat on is some of the international growth and oppenheimer's the one sound bullish sounding thing that we're hearing from right now talking about india and some of the promising growth over there so will that happen that's really what we're banking on right now if you're long the stock is some of that international growth can that kick in because we all know this between all of the providers, there is becoming bigger and bigger competition. There's absolutely no doubt about it.
6: Yeah, just on Netflix, you know, the competition for eyeballs, and we're talking about teens. You know, obviously, I think that uh, Netflix has said that eSports is as big of an issue as anything else out there of losing Marvel and Lucas and Pixar and all that sort of content. You know, back to Google. You know, this is a really important point that none of you guys had made yet. You know, hmm. Google. Tell us. Tell us, That's good thing he's enlightening YouTube. us. Well, let me tell you what they really lack relative to Snapchat and Facebook. They lack social. They lack the ability to kind of move that content around. And that's a huge differentiator for those. I have teenage Mm -hmm. daughters, and I see how they use this stuff. Yes, YouTube takes a lot of their time, and much more so, let's say, than Netflix. But the ability to share pictures, the ability to share videos and messages, that's really the killer app to use. So the TikTok piece
2: of the equation. Well, TikTok,
6: I think, is is a really important part. And, Mm -hmm. And listen, I've thought this for a very long time. I think a huge blind spot for Google, or Alphabet, excuse me, that has over seven properties with a billion monthly active users or whatever, is that they don't have an ability to move that around other than Gmail, and every attempt that they've ever done in social has not really worked out particularly well. So to me... Should they buy some? Well, uh, they should. I mean, like, they should buy Twitter tomorrow, right. you know what I mean? Um, and, and and Snapchat, and just aggregate them, that sort of thing. But to the point about regulatory stuff, I think it's a hard environment to do that. The notion that they would be able to buy a Chinese-owned
5: TikTok is very surprising to me. I love the TikTok.
6: Yeah. You
2: have no idea what he it's going has no taste. idea. Those
5: yeah. are good myths. <laughs> <minutes. laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. Like the green apple TikToks are just, they're good. good. I mean, they, very good. But you how, can't eat like a whole thing of them. It's very bad. A lot of sugar. Good luck with that. Coming
2: sugar. up. The big brand risk as tensions flare in Hong Kong. We'll break down what's at stake. Plus, Tim designing one sock that he says is about to break up. He'll give us a name and why he says wow. it's a home run. Woo. Much more fast money straight ahead. Sound of a bat. Welcome back to Fast Money. Markets having a wild back half of the day, swinging on Jerome Powell and China headlines, but ultimately finishing pretty deep in the red. So with markets looking gloomy, we thought it'd be a great time for one of our traders to pitch a stock they think could be poised for a breakout. So Tim has stepped up to the plate at the Plasma with his fast pitch. Tim, take it away. Yeah, Guy,
1: my power pitch is Cisco, nice. and I want to tell you why I like Cisco here, despite what has been a very difficult run for the company. In fact, I think that's part of the opportunity and why it sets up very well. Look, we're still, their core business, which is still a massive dynamic for them, is still 20% or so into a refresh cycle. If you look at the campus security switches, for example, this is a case where 840,000 enterprise customers do have to upgrade. And Frank, I don't think even in a difficult environment for CapEx and OpEx that people really can avoid this stuff. I think one of the really important things here is security. This is a massive, massive opportunity for the company. And I would argue this is a medium to longer term opportunity for Cisco. This is a case where when I look at security, the things that we've talked about as it relates to Facebook, as it relates to individual companies that are at risk, the ones that we hear about with all the hacks. Uh, Cisco is clearly a major player. Right now, this is a $37 billion business. This is a business that ultimately is about 90% services and recurring revenue. This is a huge opportunity. It's a huge opportunity for a multiple upgrade for the company. And then finally, again, the switch to software. We know this has been a secular story for Cisco, a good one. It's not often that you hear about this. Microsoft's another company that made that shift from a essentially a recurring revenue stream to the cloud. These guys are going from hardware to software, and if you look at how you value this company, and this is how I want to, you know, we talk about blended multiples for Apple. We talk about a blended new multiple for Disney. It's always a reason to try to re-rate the company. If you look at Cisco, this is absolutely a software revenue hybrid blend with their hardware business, which is still dominant. So at a roughly 17 times blended multiple, which gives you a 25 times uh, software multiple, I think this makes a ton of sense, and in the mega-cap tech land, this is one of the best valuations out there.
2: Any questions for Tim here on the desk? Yeah. Uh,
6: Hey, Tim, so last quarter, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, heading into that print, I mean, I I think investors felt everything that you just kind of outlined, and that was the reason to be optimistic for this stock when it was in the kind of mid-50s here, nearing, you know, multi-year, 20-year highs. That outlook and how quickly it changed based on global trade, that sort of thing, Why would you expect that to change, if you think about this, you know, over the last few months?
1: Yeah, so, and then, you you know, look, you're talking about a move here where clearly this company has has gone from, you know, well, I wish I could draw it today, but anyway, we can all see what it did. The bottom line here is we have a case where the company, uh, I think, rightly pointed out that the environment has changed and and that they are as susceptible uh, maybe as anyone just because of their sheer size. But but to me, if you look at the multiple here, um, should they be punished in a way that I think even some of the other companies in in whether it's the semiconductor space or those that have a huge enterprise business. Uh, maybe Microsoft isn't a fair comparison, but that's obviously been very defensive. I think Cisco was very sober in their outlook, and I think that's not a bad thing for investors
5: my pushback would be Tim do you think it's late in the game to get in security is that is that side of the business becoming commoditized in this environment
1: no 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 it's definitely not commoditized in fact it's a case where I, I think this is a also early stages early innings it's a power pitch it's a fast pitch guy so we're, 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 we're first inning we're bottom right of the first in terms Love of security and in <laughs> fact of the companies that are able to uh, exist across multiple domain platforms that is Cisco that's the reason they're going to dominate this place we've heard about other security players there are dedicated security players we've even had a couple items IPOs that have gone very well for at least the early stage because people get the security trade. I think we're very early on security. I think the Fortune 500 companies uh, have to be allocating a lot of their revenue and their OPEX to security.
2: Fiorite, by the way, is a 4.5% after hours on its guidance, uh, speaking of security. Yeah. All right, time to vote. Are you buying Tim's pitch on Cisco? Pete has written a tome.
7: Got a whole thing here. So. It's a buy. It was my final trade today. I bought some calls the other day. There was more call buying. So, yes, Tim, can I'm you, with you. Can you, you
2: read three or four points? And because you're, you're right. Chuck Robbins small. is as good a CEO as uh-huh. there is.
7: He's transformed. He's not quite with Microsoft right now, but he's moving Towards it, and uh, oh, I gotta tilt it around a no, little you're bit. You're doing well. There you go. There's all kinds yeah. of different stuff in there you're gonna want to see. But yeah. <laughs> long and short of it is, Tim's right.
6: All right. All right, Dan. Um, you know, listen, I'm going to pass here. I, I actually uh, like that. Power no, no, hold on. I, I, I like the stock higher three months ago, but I think that guidance that they gave for this current period, I think it's going to be the sort of thing that they extend out when they report about a month ago. And I think you're going to have an opportunity to buy it lower closer towards the December 2018 lows at 40. I think it's an up one, down one scenario. I just don't think it's a great risk reward given the macro uncertainty we have right now. That
2: was basically you, Dan's you third betcha. dime for you, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. No, Drop a I liked you use markets
5: home. That was fantastic. Tome, yeah. See, I know there's a I lower third tome. that we have to deal with, so I'm putting this up and say, nice job by Tim. Buy into the November release, and I think to Dan's earlier point, I think Chuck Robbins and Cisco. Were punished already for the commentary they made. Mm. You've seen it sort of bottom out here. I think it's not a bad not play. if they guide down. To okay, the Dan. To the not, if, not, if, not if. Okay, if, if they we guide. can do this all night. Okay, okay. Okay. Dark cloud okay. or the clouds. You guys
2: have voted, but more importantly, are the people at home voting for Tim's pitch on Cisco? Vote in your Twitter poll at Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later on in the show. Meantime, coming up, backlash and brand risk as tensions flare in Hong Kong. Our traders will weigh in on what is at stake, and later. Slamming the brakes, why a big downgrade on a financial stock could spell trouble at the car lot. we got the details on Fast Money Returns.
7: The Halftime Report is honoring America's veterans once again this year. If you're a veteran or part of a military family, we want you to come see us live at the Women's Memorial in Arlington, Virginia, on November 8th. Tickets are free. Just email your name and phone number to veteran tickets at cnbc.com. The deadline is Monday, October 14th. Again, come see the halftime team honor America's Veterans at the Women's Memorial in Arlington, Virginia, November 8th. For free tickets, email us at veterans tickets at cnbc.com. See you there.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Anti-government protests in Hong Kong showing no signs of easing up. And now consumer-facing brands are getting caught in the crosshairs. Shoemaker Vans, owned by parent company VF Corp, facing big backlash after several submissions in a sneaker design competition apparently gave a shout-out to Hong Kong protesters separately. Luxury jeweler Tiffany's took down a Twitter ad showing a model making what appeared to be a gesture used by anti-government protesters in Hong Kong. And all this, of course, follows big backlash in the sports world. Chinese State-run TV stopped airing NBA games after the general manager of the Houston Rockets sent out a tweet supporting the demonstrators. So, as tensions continue to flare in Hong Kong, are big brands who do business in China at risk? Pete?
7: Yeah, I would say they are. Uh, there's no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, we are starting to see, and this is all part of the trade war. And part of the trade war becomes all of this back and forth. And they're obviously seeing what President Trump is doing, and I think there's going to be reactions that will continue, and I think that's going to be a problem. And that's part of what we all have to factor in as we're investing in this market, because you don't know daily which one of these is going to be attacked first.
1: And, and there's there's a second derivative to this, and maybe this is what you're implying, but but the fact is these those companies here are going to be ridiculed sure. by, by their right. audience who say, hold on a second, you have to stand, stand up, up for free, free, free speech, speech and yeah. if you don't, you're just a puppet and and I don't want to support you. So it's a very difficult position to be in.
2: Yeah, you'll get burned on both sides. Yes. You can have protests here from those people who want the company to support free speech, but also protests. Protests in China yeah. for them wading into geopolitical affairs. That's what I mean. Well, you
6: yeah, know, he is- just mentioned. This is part of the trade war, and I think what's really hard for a lot of these American brands is that our government, or at least uh, the White House, has, does not have a clear view about what's going on right. in Hong Kong right now, and that is really tough for U.S. multinationals right now because it would be much easier if the NBA could get behind we exactly with what the, the United president was saying—that right. sort of thing. But we don't have a clear view, and I just want to make one other point: mm-hmm. the Chinese mainland people they feel they're kind of behind the government here. This is like the, they get the news one way, right? Yep. They think that this is a protest against the government that they live under. So it's a really tricky situation. It's going to play out as long as this trade war goes.
2: Uh, we got breaking news on Johnson & Johnson. Let's get to Seema Modi in the newsroom with the details. Sema,
9: Hi, Melissa. Reuters is reporting that Pennsylvania jury has ruled that Johnson & Johnson must pay $8 billion in punitive damages in a trial over risk of male breast growth linked to Risperdal. That, again, According to Reuters, we should note that jury awards like this often get reduced in the process of an appeal. But again, this is uh, so far what we're learning here from a report from Reuters looking at the stock. It's down just about one percent in after hours, but certainly a name we will keep an eye on for now. Melissa, back to you. All
2: right. Thank you very much. Seema uh, Risperdal, by the way, is used to treat uh, mental and mood disorders uh, this could be appealed the stock is down right now but th- this is not you know when i when i heard that there's breaking news on Johnson Johnson involving a, a jury or I trial i thought it was opioids i thought it was talc Powder. i mean a number of things could have fallen there so
5: what's so how do you trade the stock mm-hmm. and you know it's been it's had bounces along the way and people will say correctly on valuation it's cheap but how can you in my opinion you got to wait until October 15th when they report to hear what they say how they say it, how they guide forward before you even take a stab at this stock. I'll say that the 125 level's held a couple times, but it's been a couple times. So I think you got to wait and see what they say on the 15th, and I think the stock probably trends lower until then.
1: And I think you need to go back and check what reserves they have for litigation for these things. So um, in the opioid uh, issues, we even heard them on a couple settlements that were against them. Uh, They said we're going to fight it, um, but they also indicated that they were not against certain other jurisdictions that were bringing cases, and maybe, um, we're probably not going to tell us that day online, but they certainly told us that we think that those are situations where we may have penalties, um, as opposed to the ones which they protested. But either way, they were tiny relative to this potential size of the exposure. Right now, I'm not sure the market knows how to value uh, J&J's opioid exposure, especially because of the political ramifications. I think they do know how to value this. Uh, Today's announcement, I think a lot of that's in the litigation uh, reserves.
2: Is this a no-touch
7: pete yes it is i think there are so many other better places to be right now and wait for the news such as well i love Merck still i'm still in some of those names Merck, pfizer a couple of the other names bristol meyer so i think there are better spots right at this moment than j and j okay
2: coming up options traders betting on a rocky road ahead for shares of general motors we'll break down all the action plus take a look at our kramer cam jim is talking to the domino ceo on the back of the company's earnings results we got the full interview coming up top of the hour on Mad Money. We are live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. J.P. Morgan slamming the brakes today on the consumer. The firm downgrading Ally Financial, warning of increased fundamental risk and hinting that a looming recession could take a bite out of the bank's auto lending business. J.P. Morgan downgrading Ally to a neutral from overweight, cutting the price target to 33 from 35. Ally shares falling more than four percent today. While it was a tough day for banks overall, the bigger story might be J.P. Morgan's pessimism around the U.S. consumer. They say things are fine through the end of the year, but it's next year that could really be the problem.
5: You know. And I've tried to make this point, again, I don't know if I've done it well, but don't confuse the consumers want to spend with the health of the consumer. Consumer debt to GDP is probably at record levels, north of 54%. U.S. consumers will spend money as long as they feel things are good. They feel things are good when the stock market goes higher. Whether or not they own a stock, I think that's the metric. So to answer your question, when the stock market goes pear-shaped, like it did this time last year, watch how quickly consumer spending stops. It stops on a... Right. Time.
2: And so far, the performance of Ally has been very. I mean, it's up 33% this year.
1: Well, they, they've been they've been very sensitive to the move down in rates. It's actually yeah. been a big boom for the regional banks. The high sensitivity there. But look, some some of I'm not a, a dedicated credit guy. Um, I, some of my smartest friends in the street are credit guys, and they're looking at regional banks. I mean, they're, they're looking for the cracks. They're certainly not telling you that credit is getting better. Um, so that's that's the, that's the trend we're at. I think we probably peaked in terms of uh, the spreads on credits in terms of how tight they are. And you need to continue to watch the High yield trade—it's important.
7: Yeah, what- I think it's a really tough investment right now. I own some calls now. This is a, this stock has made in ally, unbelievable specifically. Yep. Okay. and made a pretty significant move to the upside. Yeah. You can see by the charts. But am I nervous about some of these banks? Yeah, absolutely. They've, they've managed their way through it. We talk about the big banks all the time, but I think there are a couple of regional banks out there. And today was a downgrade for U.S. Bank. I still like that. It's a Buffett name. I still think there's plenty of upside there, but it doesn't mean it can't pull back in the meantime. As the markets like what guys talking about over there with the consumer.
2: All right. Well, J.P. Morgan isn't the only one saying there could be trouble ahead for autos. One trader in the options market is pumping the brakes on GM. Dan Nathan's here to break down the action. Yeah,
6: a lot of action in GM today and on the put side. uh, You know, puts were about two and a half times that of calls. There was a couple different trades, kind of saying some different things to me. Towards the end of the day, there was a seller of December thirty-three puts, thirty thousand times. But the trade that I want to focus on was looked to be a bearish roll from. January 2020 to the November 33 puts, 10,000 times, it looked like an opening buyer. Um, in the November 30s here, 10,000 times, like I said. Uh, you know These things break even below 30, and I think it's really interesting when we think about some of these levels. Let's go to the chart here real quickly. This is the chart since the um, start of 2018. If you look at this move that we have had over the last month down about 15%, it places GM stock right below that uptrend that has been in place since uh, the December lows. Not, not a great spot whatsoever let's go to the chart since 2010 when the stock re-ipo do you see that uptrend that has been in place um, from the 2012 lows we're getting close to there so here's the thing you got to think about we know that the auto strike the GM auto workers have been out for about um, four weeks now some analysts think that's costing the company 50 to 100 million dollars a day I think JP Morgan said it's already cost them about a billion dollars those would be the sorts of reasons if you were long GM um, and hoping for some sort of consumer uptick while you might look for protection here so this one is at a pretty precarious technical st- spot and we don't know what the results gonna be we know in about um, a month or so this company is is going to report earnings and if they don't have any solution to this strike it's going to be
1: a dire outlook going forward mm-hmm. are you in gm still? i'm in gm and and the the issue of restarting production that's been idled is a big deal for the company um the balance sheet is not something that concerns me at all whereas ford it does um and i think on evaluation it, it's certainly very defendable here um we we've priced in we priced in peak autos with gm I, I, you know for the last two and a half years. So um, I don't think the market's surprised by the slowdown, but I think these structural issues at GM might be issues.
2: So if we price in peak auto for a couple of years, why be in the stock at this point?
5: That's been the, and that's been, my, you know, that's been the point I've been trying to make. Ford's even worse than GM. At least GM's had moments where it's rallied from, you know, it's vacillated between this mm-hmm. 32 level, which it currently is, to 40 a number of times. So... This bearish bet is somewhat, it's pretty interesting given the levels of that. October 29th is the level. And, you know, quickly, Dan said something to me before the show. He said when Dan's first hit on this show back, he said we were really mean to him. Mean to, I can't say exactly what he worried. said. No, no, no. It, it is like what he said. I heard you say
2: He's fragile. Way of saying mean. was—it was, right. Right. It, was, it, was 000,
5: right. it was a different time. No, but I bring yeah. that up wow. because tomorrow mm. yes. on the Fast Money, tomorrow's Wednesday. What's tomorrow? Yes, tomorrow. We're tomorrow's going, going to have somebody know? on his maiden voyage doing OA, and yes. I just want to say, on on behalf of everyone here, we're going to be nice. It'll
1: be really nice. Super nice. We're not going to treat and him like be we treated you, really mean. Dan. Sorry right. about that, Dan. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. <laughs> Go off him. Ah. Oh, uh, for, for
2: more options, and action, tune into our live show this Friday, 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we got the final trade. Pretty close. Oh. You know what song makes Tim feel Uh-oh. safe and secure at home? <laughs> so yeah, Tony to Braxton, of course. Sorry, Tim. America's not buying your pitch. Um, this is probably the closest Twitter him. poll result we've had in a while. 55% said no. 45% said yes. Hey, not look, a on a bad, bad tape,
7: I, I, that's a victory.
2: <laughs> Final trade time, Pete.
7: Going with UNH. Some call buying in there today. I bought the stock. I'm selling calls. Giddy up.
2: Tim Seymour.
7: Let's
1: just say I gave you all you need to know, Cisco. I forget the chart. I think the fundamentals are interesting. I'm not a chartist. Dan. Uh, yeah, Banks, XLF, I think you continue to sell rallies. The song itself is miserable. The but dance the remix, pressure. I mean, yeah, why of I don't do that? It's like Jason, that. Tony's a regular watcher of this show. and She is. I think We've invited right her on a number version. of times. I, I, I think I he's one anyway, of the better singers. GDX held 26 and a half a couple times.
2: All right, that does the rest of you. Back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast <laughs> Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.